Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Would you have loved me if I'd never changed? If I'd been my true self? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding TV, a podcast about television. I am David Chen, and joining me today, as usual, for this series covering Secret Invasion, he is the co-host of Remap Radio and the writer of Crossplay, a new substack that you can find at patrickklepek.substack.com. Patrick Klepek, welcome back to Decoding TV. I'm back. I'm still on Substack. I'm still here. Dave hasn't kicked me off yet, and so um, I'm, I'm ready to talk some more. Despite my best efforts. I know. Despite my best trying, efforts. My monitor is uh, attempting to turn off on me and, and also to try and kick me off, but I said, no, flicker away. Tornadoes are happening all around me, but no, nothing will stop me from talking about episodes three and four of Secret Evasion, Dave. You cannot stop me. Indeed, indeed. Patrick, is uh, you're in Chicago area, right? So that's what's causing I am. I am, yes. yes. Um, well, anyway, today on Decoding TV, we are going to be discussing episodes three and four of Secret Invasion currently streaming right now on Disney+. Plus. You can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com, email us at decodingtv at gmail.com, and find us on TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram, and threads at Decoding TV. We are going to start by talking about non-spoilery overall thoughts about episodes three and four. Then we're going to move into a full detailed recap and bring up any additional uh, additional topics related to these episodes. So let's get into it, Patrick. Uh, let's start by talking about overall thoughts. At this point, we are more than two, like halfway <laughs> through the show, mm-hmm. and I think we have opinions on the show. <laughs> Right, uh-huh. we have overall uh-huh. opinions on the show. So, what do you what do you think the secret? How do you think Secret Invasion is going so far? How do you think the Secret Invasion is going so far? Uh, I think that the the secret <laughs> might be that nobody's watching. Well, I don't know if that's a secret. Maybe that's not a secret. Um, I have to admit, I am. I was really holding out hope. Uh, like a couple of the scenes from Episode Two between Rhodes and Fury, that was maybe going to chart a path for. Uh, if not an amazing show, a show that would have enough strong scenes, enough character scenes, because it just became clear pretty early, the show is not setting especially high stakes for itself. The show is not setting especially high consequences for the broader universe, and that's that 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 can be fine. But then, what are you doing with the rest of it? Justify your time here and your time with me. And my disappointment comes from. The show having, in bullet point form, if you were to explain, here are some of the things we're going to explore in this show. I see the show walking up to that line where it could do some of those things, 
and then choosing not even metaphorically having characters walk out the door and like choose not to engage with <laughs> those topics like, like, the like best literally part- a character walks out the door at one point instead of yes when they say the most me- <laughs> having the most meaningful exchange yeah. between those characters about the, the the subtext and the text of their relationship well, we don't have time for it in this six-part show. I need to go do a poorly lit action scene uh, with the president. Uh, I'm sorry, I cannot stay at this wow. table. Um, and wow. and um, I think that is where my disappointment lies. It's like uh, I don't want to get into spoilers, but like a allusion to that is deep fears of mine that I said I really hope they don't do this one thing. Please don't do this one thing. They did the one thing, which I obviously, I don't know if Dan knew or was just like, of course they're going to do that. And it's like, don't, please don't do it. And it, and it did it. And I will say it's hard for me to recommend this show to anyone, but like the, the most die, like, Hey, are you fine with just looking at your phone and watching Nick Fury on screen every once in a while? Like if that, if it is that level of show, <laughs> wow. I mean, look. Look, Brutal. you watch a lot of you watch a lot of I, I I listen to your stuff. You watch a lot of reality. There are sh- tiers of show. Is the show there to uh-huh. engage you at the highest level? Your phone is down. I am fully on board with everything that's happening. It's okay for a show to not be at that level, but also you should know what you're in for and what your level of engagement is. I just think this show rarely captures, demands, or requires that level of attention. And maybe sometimes that's a really high bar to ask of something like the MCU. But there are moments like the conversations between uh, Vara and Fury that mm-hmm. gesture at like a much more like, yeah, where's yeah. the entire episode set in 1998 <laughs> right. about the two of them? Yeah, like, yeah. they clearly got up to some adventures. Like you telling me that her, she's got this clandestine group of scrolls up to stuff and he's off finding Captain America and whatever. And that like you couldn't build a show about them in love with like. It's right there. And I think that's my frustration is the where it chooses to point its camera at is frequently some of the least interesting work that I want to see. And then it and like it walks into the door quite as in like quite literally to moments that I'd want to spend 25 minutes with. And we get a couple before the show says, ah, we got that whole plot thing to deal with, though. That plot over there. Do you want to go back to the plot? I guess. And that's that's kind of where. I'm at the show, and especially now as we get to episodes five and six, which if we're following the arc of basically everything else in Marvel shows, Marvel uh, movies, or just comic shows, or just action in general, we're trending towards the climax, which is a lot more shooting and powers and, and things of that nature. And it feels like we're going to leave behind even the little bits that I've been kind of grasping onto so far. Uh Agreed with most of what you said. The only thing I'm confused by is your point about uh, there not being enough stakes. Oh, I guess uh, the annihilation of the human species <laughs> is not enough stakes for you, Patrick Klepek. Uh, well, what, what's, but what's the going stakes, on there? Well, what's in this? It's I don't believe them. That's what I'm, <laughs> I don't believe them. I don't believe you. Um, I don't mean to be as naive as Talos, who really shows his inability to grasp the uh, seriousness of like the situation throughout this show. Just a complete disregard. Like this character is just gutted throughout this throughout the the, the conclusion of uh, where we're at in the in the series. But that that's it. It's like I can only I don't believe the stakes of the show. You can tell me that humanity is at stake, but. Multiple times now, and I don't want to spoil how episode four ends, um, 
but we're getting repeats. Uh, there are three moments in this show that it tries to impart gravity with a character deploying a specific technique, let's call it. <laughs> and wow. in every wow. instance, uh-huh. in every instance, we've had, com- well, we haven't had a conversation about, uh, about the, these, yeah, because uh, some of these occur over um, the episodes in question, but I didn't believe them anytime. I was like, BS show. Like, I, I just know whatever you're telling me, I'm supposed to be upset about, like, we're going to resolve it by the ne- next episode. Um, and so I guess I just don't grasp by or sit in with the stakes. And I'm, I'm, I'm primed to sort of be able to, uh, like, I love these types of movies. I don't need a lot to get over the hump. Like I can go wink, wink, nod, nod with, with the best of them. And I just don't think that the show is earning that for me. And once you lose those stakes, it's like the rest of the show doesn't have enough to, to support you on the way down. Uh, I got, I got an email this week, Patrick, Mm -hmm. uh, that was someone, uh, it was a, it was a, not a nice email, um, from someone at decoding TV at gmail.com. And they basically said, Hey, David Chen, why don't you choose people that will like the shows that you're reviewing? (laughs) And I just, I just want to make clear, I just want to make clear that when we, when, you know, I was working with Patrick, like we, I, I didn't just, Patrick Klepek that was not randomly assigned secret invasion. We were like, Hey, Patrick, you know, you're like, oh, I love MCU stuff. I've watched every single TV show. Um, 100%. I, 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 try, I choose people who are inclined to like the thing. But if they don't like the thing, you know, like I can't, I can't control it. I can't control it, right? Um, that said, I will share my thoughts on these two episodes. <laughs> I mean, I think it's clear that the show is not great uh, at this point. I, I, th- but what it feels to me like... Uh, a lot of these shows have in common. Honestly, the show that this reminds me most of is Captain uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier or Captain America and yeah. Winter Soldier, right? Where, where yeah. basically it has all these different ideas that it's chasing, you know? It's like, oh, we, we got to continue some of the MCU stuff, right? So Nick Fury, why was he in space and all that stuff? We got to continue that. Um, but what about if shape-shifting aliens infiltrated the highest ranks of the government? Oh, that's interesting. What about Nick Fury's wife maybe nick fury was married this whole time Ooh, talos he has an interesting you know it feels like it's like squirrel like oh let's we have all these interesting (laughs) things to go and try and figure out now look uh it is still a pleasure to see samuel jackson on screen we get to see samuel jackson and don Cheadle interact in the mcu which basically nowhere else in the mcu provides us as far as i understand other than this show so it's like that's and that's genuinely pleasure episode four had some in my opinion solid action you know um and so the show is not like irredeemable or anything like that uh but i think um the idea that it would like you know be one of the best mcu tv shows or whatever like it feels increasingly unlikely that that will happen at this point and i do i want to clarify so you know we did have that conversation ahead of me joining you to review this and so i feel bad that i'm just leaning in no or, no no uh, I, I don't this, this i don't expect you to, yeah go, yeah go ahead go but ahead. what i want what i want to say is uh this comes from a place of high expectation it, mm-hmm, i think there yeah. has been a trend in uh if you look at like reviews critical reviews of like uh, of of Marvel stuff in the last 18 months, post-Endgame especially. I think there has been a mixture of, yes, a real roller coaster of quality in terms of the product that is coming out, the stories that are being told, alongside a general just exhaustion from critics to want to even engage with these works 
period. Because I think a tension that's occurring, and I can speak to this as someone that has only recently gotten on sort of like the crowdfunded uh, like content creation business for like to use the crassest possible terms. Wow. But when I worked wow. at Vice and all my other stops along the way, I was thinking of traffic. I was thinking of SEO. And there is uh, an inherent mandate to interact with Marvel comic book films because they are big. They, they, well, they, for, for a while, we're making a lot of money, um, less so perhaps these days in a more yeah. consistent basis. But I do think though these, the, these works have been, uh, kind of become a punching bag because a lot of critics are just tired of having to review them as a perfunctory part of their job. And I do not, I do not come from that world. I do not come to disliking or having a lot of disappointment, secret invasion from, well, gee, it's like, I always have to wake up and talk to Dave Chen about the new Marvel thing. It's like, no, like I'm watching these shows already. Like this is what my wife and I like. It is the reason we go to the movies is mostly to watch a new Marvel movie because we got to get a babysitter and pay for tickets. It's a whole hubbloo. It was one of our great disappointments to not go see the most recent, very good one of those guardians of the galaxy because my daughter got hand foot and mouth disease like right as that was happening and so we had to cancel the babies and so i just do want to like put a little context in the arc of me arriving at the show <laughs> disappointing yeah. me is like it's because i want this stuff to be great and i can see a world where this could have been maybe not great but much better than it was and so i'm constantly grasping at like those little tendrils that i can in the show and i think that it ends up expressing itself I think in line with a broader sort of like just tiredness with Marvel as a brand, as a franchise. But I, mm-hmm. I personally do not come and arrive at that place from that, from that same space. Patrick Klepek comes not to tear Marvel down, but to raise it up. And demand okay? better. Demand yeah. better. Demand, demand better, indeed. Well, okay. Those are our overall thoughts about the next, these middle two episodes of Secret Invasion. Episodes three, Betrayed, and episode four, Beloved. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Let's get to a more detailed recap, uh, which we will then follow up with uh, some specific topics we may want to discuss. The topics may may come up as part of the recap as well, but let's get into it. So we're not going to spoil episode three. Let's start with episode three, Betrayed. This episode opens with Gravik's group putting plans into motion for their next attack, infiltrating the UK's Royal Navy, attacking a United Nations plane via submarine, and sending the world into chaos. Gravik then reveals his secret research into Super Scrolls, a way of manipulating scroll DNA to gain powers. We then venture into the past with a scene between a young Nick Fury and a scroll named Vara, who will later become his wife. Back in the present, Fury and Vara spar I'm sorry, Fury and Vara spar over Fury's disappearance at the hand of Thanos and later his retreat into space. The events left Vara distraught, and while it's clear Vara's heart remains with Fury, her allegiances are unclear. While Gravik searches for a traitor in his group's mist, he meets up with Talos, who threatens to undermine Gravik's plans by revealing the presence of the scrolls to the world. Gravik believes this would lead to the eradication of the scrolls, while Talos believes humanity would understand the difference between good and bad scrolls. While later having breakfast, a newly fired Fury approaches Talos and reluctantly asks for help. The two arrive at the home of a scroll, hiding as a Royal Navy officer, seeking a launch termination code. 
The interrogation goes poorly, and Talos ultimately shoots the traitor <laughs> scroll when pressed about Gaia's loyalties. Talos calls Gaia for help, and after she retrieves the code from the memories of a human version of the officer in Gravik's base, the attack is aborted. Knowing she's about to be caught, Gaia attempts to flee before Gravik confronts her and shoots her in the chest. So that is where that episode ended. And I have to say, I watched episode three and four straight through. So I did not spend a week wondering if Gaia was dead. Uh, well, I didn't. I, I didn't spend a week. I watched them as they came out, and I did also did not spend a week <laughs> wondering if Gaia was was dead. Well, that is your problem, Patrick. <laughs> uh, I, I, so, uh, you know, this episode I thought was like the weaker of the two episodes. Uh, I agree, and I think one of the issues that this show is really having is in the buildup to some of these big set pieces. Um, so the idea of episode three is you're infiltrating this guy's uh, house uh, and he has like the nuclear launch or he's giving the order. Or so he's, he's responsible for giving the order to fire the missile, blah, blah, blah. Um, is it just me or did it feel like pretty freaking casual? Like the conversation that Nick Fury has with uh, Olivia Coleman's character, you know, he's like, Hey, I need you to give me the, and she's like, okay, fine, yeah, I'll send it via email. Like it's, there's no like urgency or buildup to it. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's like, if this plane goes down, like the, yeah, the chaos element that the graphic <laughs> is speaking is going, is going to happen. And whatever she is dealing with, like can't, she can't spare a couple agents to like to go meet up with them. Like go on the back, and they can a pincer move on on the house. She's just, like, she's like yeah, whatever, whatever. It's fine, you know. Like it's cool. Like, uh, it, but it's just this is you know there for some shows this would be the culminating event of the season, like yes. building up to like this nuclear launch and figuring out a way to like stop it from happening. But instead, it's just like oh another ep- oh yeah okay I guess we stopped that one. You know, good job. Um. So I, I think that's a real problem with the show is that you, you like I think you basically find out about the plan at the beginning of the episode, right? So like you're learning about the plan and then it is being resolved by the end of the episode, and it's supposed to have like world altering stakes. And that's the show writ large, Dave. Like yeah. that is that is actually for a mystery show. the The show res- resolves a lot of its mysteries up front, like in the premise, right? Like we learn so much about Gravik, his intentions, what the, the, like uh, the planet altering stakes are so early that like the, the, the like knockdown effect reveals that are happening as we go along. I mean, yes. Would it, would it be so- sort of silly to have a show that we're spending the whole time guessing like, who is a scroll? Um, but that sounds like that might be more fun than where we've like end, ended up. And I just feel like the show in many ways, in some ways it wanted to like reveal Gravik and the intentions of Gravik up front, make them a central character from the beginning, as opposed to like a big bad to be revealed behind a curtain later. And I get that, but we also don't spend enough time with Gravik and the base and the other characters to really, it, this show through Talos is attempting to argue if they like the show has like a broader sort of like, theme that it's like really like it's exploring through Talos is can the scrolls and humans get along and obviously <laughs> Gravik is saying no we should just take this planet for ourselves and and Talos believes I think rather naively that I, there's a there's a path forward here and 
if you're going to do a perspective show, like I need more time understanding the perspective of, of Gravik and the time that we do spend with him and his intentions is more or less just around like a mustache twirling, like time to destroy the world with my super scrolls, <laughs> as opposed to I like in this show yeah. is a very understandable, maybe not killing 2000 people in a Paris attack, understandable, but understandable tension with people who have been asked to work for the American government with under a different skin. They cannot even be their real selves. Yeah. And to do that for decades under the promise of being accepted or at least sent somewhere where they can build their own home and society. And it's so easy to imagine being in the writer's room and in the same way that you're talking about all these threads we can pull on. It's like, that sounds like really rich textual territory for a television show. That would mm-hmm. be that would just be surface level premise for a movie to get you to the MacGuffin. And here it's like I can describe all of these interesting angles and I just don't feel like they end up getting explored. And that ends up being, I think, undercutting. All right, here's, I mean, I think I almost wrote, I don't know if I wrote it in the the, the write-up that I that I gave to you, but I almost wrote like, and here's yet another plan to sow chaos from Gravik because like that is, <laughs> yeah. there is a bit of like a chaos of the week element yes. Um, to it. Yes, the, the, they, they made it into a procedural. Like it's a, it's a Gravik's plan of the week, basically. <laughs> yeah. Which is right, not, and, which is, I don't think is a good approach for this kind of thing, right? No, and like uh, the, the fact that the Gaia is like immediately revealed to, uh, you know, like, like, you know, in episode four, like not like they're they're undercutting Gravik even as like this mad evil like villain. Like I just don't buy him. I don't buy his plan. And because of the formulaic nair of the sort of like chaos of the week, what how how are how are our heroes going to get out of it this time? And it's like, well, of course they get out of the jam. And so I just don't buy. A lot of that. And also, like, we related to even understanding their perspectives. I wish we spent more time seeing the infiltration element, like the whole notion of like being a scrawl, like getting your way into the government. Um, that seems like that could be interesting and tense. Um, and we get basically none of that. It's sort of just a magic plot device to just insert them into places where they can execute their plan, as opposed to seeing any sort of the insertion element of that like what how are they getting the bodies out like well you know i think the approach can be can be best summarized uh by the scene early in the episode where the the scrolls are in the car and one of them says time to transform and then (laughs) cut to cut to they have been transformed it's like you know i actually wrote down in my notes i was like oh that's a nice (laughs) nice way to save money on the transformations um i do think dan was right in the previous episode that i you can almost feel the writers and the actors finding ways to not want to sit in the makeup chair for what was clearly must be just an enormous amount of work. Yeah, um, um, you know, like, because, especially that scene in the, I think in episode two, when graphic is presenting his plan to the council and they're, you know, who's a human, like, why are they not in their scroll like forms when they're talking, like they're in, they're in the council. Why are we in our human forms? And it's probably because, they don't want to do an entire day's worth of shooting uh, in in that makeup. Well, uh, I mean, to be fair, they do explain. There is an in-universe explanation for it, which is uh, in the first episode, they're like, oh, we uh, we keep our human forms because that makes it easier to stay in them or whatever. You know, so. Okay. You know. All right. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So okay. You right. You're right. You got yep. me. You got me. I got, I got you. I got you. Undercut. I am monitoring the canonical aspects of this so closely. <laughs> All right. There's there's much more to discuss in episode four, so let's get to that. 
um, episode four, Beloved. Or Beloved. Uh, Gaia is revealed to have previously stolen the Super Scroll DNA, allowing her body to heal. So let's just stop. Let's pause right there. Boy, what a fake out. They faked faked you out, Patrick, huh? They faked you out. You know, in (laughs) episode one, when... uh, when the death occurs at the end of that with uh, with Hill, it's really dramatic. Like they they're really hammering Hill, like ha- hmm, hammering Hill, hammering. I did not mean hammering mm. home. Yeah, uh, that Hill. Like when they do the like they're yeah. doing like an overhead shot, slowly come out. The music is swelling. You know, yes, like this is a comic book franchise. Anybody can come back, but they did seem to be really trying to impart to you, the audience member, like. Look at that dead body. Like we're giving you a big panning shot of that, yeah. And and, and trying to impart like uh, some gravity to the moment, even though obviously by existing in this universe, the, the 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 watcher is always going to be thinking, well, can they come back because of X Y Z? And the shots they do here, I just didn't. I just yeah, we saw her go down. My wife and looked at each other. Well, she's clearly just gonna get up i am the next really wow you didn't buy it for a second you didn't buy it for a second yeah i mean that's also the problem of like you know you mentioned before that amelia clark hadn't uh has not really been in much since game of thrones like well they're not just gonna shoot her on the side of the road in episode three would have been bold bold that would have been bold it's not what they it's not what they did it also would have been poor storytelling it was like i feel like this character if you're gonna have her here has has more to say and I do think they set her up with some interesting tension with her father. Whether that pays off is is unclear to me. We haven't. I think that's something we'll see in episodes five and six. Um, but yeah, I was just. She seemed very primed for. She's just going to get up for X, Y, Z reason, and so I just I didn't buy into any of the tension at episode three, and so I wasn't even even mad at the beginning of episode four. It was more just yeah, of course, like of course she's still going to be here doing something else. All right, so we jump to twenty twelve. AKA the same same year as the Battle of New York depicted in the original Avengers movie. At dinner, Vara teases Fury about what happened before the two express their love for one another while discussing a book of poems uh, by Raymond Carver. Uh, side note, by the way, it wasn't clear to me if they were married at this point, right? Or if they're mm-hmm. still courting or whatever. Uh, but yeah, didn't know if you had a different vibe. Back in the present, Vara meets with James Rhodes at a church service where we learn, whoa, plot twist. <laughs> <laughs> Rhodes has been a scroll for an undetermined amount of time and tasks Vara with killing Fury. So, first of all, I just want to say, uh, let's give props where props are due. The scroll version of Rhodes, uh, they it was taking a shower uh, in the episode. And I was like, wow, the, make- the makeup is good. Like, I can imagine it being difficult to have makeup yeah. for scrolls that is able to survive water. Um, so... Good job on the makeup show. Uh, that's that, that was my reaction to that scene. Uh, but yeah, apparently Rhodes has been a scroll for how long? Like who know who knows? We know that scrolls can kill people and take over their lives. Um, so was Rhodes always a scroll? Was he a scroll for the last X years? Yeah, you know, like I have I no, I have, I have no idea. Unclear, I assume right? they, I assume they're sort of setting up. Uh, yes, they, obviously they could kill someone and assume. Uh, their, their their face, their body, their form, but because like so often the show is like referencing back to this base full of humans that are like on the like whatever stasis yeah. pods that they're in, and then you can access their memories through a hand portal uh, yeah. sort of device. <laughs> um, 
I assume he's just there, like in that rack, and and we just that is just not a shot that we have seen in in the show. I, I see. Will I say, see. So you you think like Don Cheadle, real Don Cheadle Rhodes, is somewhere in some kind of rack, somewhere? Yeah. Yes. I th- yeah. Okay. I don't. I don't think gotcha. he. I don't think he's dead. Interesting. Uh, Interesting. Perhaps. I mean. I. I assume there. I assume. They just, I mean, he has that uh, Armored Wars movie that's coming in the next couple of years. And I assume Skrull Rhodes is not the star of that. Though that would be a bold turn to just have an entire film with a Skrull <laughs> version of that character. But I, I will say, looking, even though I am I remain disappointed that the first time we get uh, Samuel Jackson and, and Don Cheadle acting off one another, it is with a like not non-Rhodes version of that character, given the kinds of things those characters are talking about, like and right. the history of black men and black power is just someone. Yeah. I, I mean, that conversation in, in our last episode, didn't you say, Hey, if yeah. Rhodes turns out to be a scroll that completely undermines the potency of the conversation they had. Right. If I it does. That. And I, it, I continue to feel that like, <laughs> Oh, right. We have these two powerful black actors like talking about earning black power. And like, what do you do with that? And it's like, well, but he was a green guy all along, you know, putting that aside, which I am unless, unless, unless he's been, he's been Rhodes for like decades, which is like possible. That's true. In this world, that is, right? po- that is, I guess. And then it's true. like, then it's like, he needs to navigate being a black man at, and also a scroll for many, many right. years. So, but it's, is, un- though, it's unclear. It's unclear. I feel like the first tell the show was giving us that that is probably not the case was when, Rhodes goes to that meeting with the other countries to explain Fury and Hill being in Paris. And he has that moment where it's like the Netherlands or someone is mouthing off to him and he turns around. And he's like, I'm going to get in the, I'm going to get in the war suit and like mess that lady up. There's like, there's a line that he goes, threatens. He threatens to bomb Slovakia. If I recall. Correctly. Yeah. And that felt um, aggressive. Uh, and I granted like Cheeto has played that character being, like kind of like he's capable of cracking jokes, but that, like that seemed a little like, huh? Like you're saying that in an official setting in which like clearly people could probably hear you. It wasn't like it was just off mic. And I, I sort of took that to maybe mean is that the mask sort of slipping on that character um, for, for the, but uh, I, right. I think uh, it would uh, be uh, more the- interesting if it was a scroll assuming roads for, many many films yeah like so much of this is a scroll like that will be a worthwhile turn for that character and i think would to your point help uh, massage my own uncomfortableness with like the the way like that conversation with fury and Rhodes, because then it still has weight if this person has had to assume like and and work through all these prejudices around them as a as a result of assuming that face absolutely um, does the show explain that to us? Not yet. You <laughs> Not know, yet. May, may, Not yet. May, it's possible we'll get an explanation by the end of the, uh, the season. I hope so. so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, also loved that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a sucker for Raymond Carver, man. I was like, and, and mm-hmm. when I was watching this, I was like, wow, this is really giving us, uh, when I was watching Vara and Nick Fury interact in the past, I was, I was thinking to myself, wow, this is really giving us a, a look into what an alternate version of this show would have been, you know? Yes. Where it's like, imagine if it was just 
um, conversations with Fury and Vara throughout the year. Like that, <laughs> yeah. if that's the whole show, I would have been super happy with that. That's like, oh, that's oh, just that's make cool. it a one-off limited series. The episodes are yeah. eight minutes long. It's yeah. just them at a coffee shop. It doesn't even them be eight at- minutes, but it's like it can be like play-like. You know, it's just like, hey, this is like a a chamber piece with with Vara. now. No one, like, very few people would watch that. But here's the thing: are people we really recap watching that show? We yeah, have are, a lot are, to talk about <laughs> absolutely. Are people really watching Secret Invasion in its current form? Is the question. You know, like, um, but yeah, I, you know, when anyone quoting Raymond Carver, I, I think these two actors have a lot great chemistry with each other. So absolutely. Um, so I, I love the work they're doing. Okay. Uh, but yeah, back in the present, Vara, Vara meets with James Rhodes, and we learn that uh, he tasks Vara with killing Fury, and it's like. The problem with this whole plot is, you know, we can get into this more later, is I, I think we are given tantalizingly few snapshots of Fury and Vera's past. And so, uh, well, yeah, let's get into it later. We'll get into it later when we get, when we get to that point when she needs to actually betray him. Okay, so um, elsewhere, Gravik reveals Gaia is the mole and she's dead. And he moves forward with yet another plan to sow chaos. Pretend to be the Russians. Well, there, there's where the I put the yet another. Yeah. There's yeah. where it, I knew I had it in there somewhere. Uh, yet another plan to sow chaos. Pretend to be the Russians and assassinate the American president. Uh, let's pause for a moment. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I, I want to say that you ever watched 24, the Key for Sutherland show? At one of my all-time favorite shows. Got to, Love got it. to go to the 24 uh, press event for the show. Got to meet wow. Key for Sutherland. And ask him as I was turning 21 uh, what I should have uh, for my first official drink uh, for my birthday. I, uh, he paused for a long time, told this story about a drink that he um, had seen in the old like 50s Batman show that Batman and Robin would drink. And he, he begged his mom over and over to get it for him. And she wouldn't because she was like, it's disgusting. I know they drink it in the show, but you're not. And finally... His mother relented, went and got it, um, brought it home, and it was disgusting, and he hated it. And so he said, he looks at me, he's like, this is all to say, drinking is very personal. You're going to have to kind of figure it out for yourself, just like anything else in life. And then he pauses again and goes, but whiskey. I was like, oh, thank you. Thank you, Mr. (laughs) Sutherland. Uh, look, twenty four, in my opinion, is a very conservative leaning show. Like, hundred percent. There's a very, yes. there's a very like George W. Bush ideology embedded in that show. Pro torture. Um, yeah, very, very pro torture. Um, but here's how a given season of twenty four was structured. Okay, you'd have a terrorist attack about to go off within like the next eight to twelve hours. Right. Each season was in real time. So every episode was one hour. Can you believe they used to make 24 of these a year, Patrick Klepek? No. I I mean, they were, you must have been shooting three fourths of the year just to put those out. And, 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 uh, and like every episode was in real time. So every episode represented one hour. And for the most part, it worked like in terms of, hey, you have one hour to do this task. And they, and they had multiple in in the A plot, a B plot, sometimes even Mm -hmm. a C plot each episode. Um, but what I really appreciated about 24 was sometime in around the eight to 12 to 14 hour mark each season, <laughs> Kiefer Sutherland would solve the problem. Like he would, mm-hmm. he would, cause it's like he had, there's a terrorist attack and, uh, they know that they can't like extend out that attack for a full 24 hours. So he needs to solve the problem. And then, Oh, what well, turns out 
there is another bomb, Patrick. Right? <laughs> that is what that is always what happened. Like two thirds of the season, like oh my god, there's another bomb. We're gonna spend the next eight hours trying to fix the other bomb. Right? And That's I couldn't like wait. I like I was like, I'm so glad there's another bomb. <laughs> <laughs> he has. They have two bombs going off within 24 hours. That's what it is, right? That's what 24 is. Um, I could not help but think of 24 when watching Secret Invasion hmm. because Gravik has. In the first four episodes, three distinct terror plots, right? Mm-hmm. One is uh, to blow up that Moscow public square where he killed, again, shockingly high number of people, 3,000. Uh, then there's the launching the, nucle- the missile at the UN delegation plane. And now there's killing the American president. So he's really ramping up to the final <laughs> yeah. boss level. Um, but, but I, I, so I have nothing, I have no opposition to the concept of like you, he, a guy has multiple terror plans, like in, in yeah. the, in the show's universe. But the buildup, Patrick, yeah. <laughs> right? like for 24, you'd have literally 14 hours of buildup for one yes. of those plots. Right, and, and you then end like up, and you spend so much time with the villains and yes. the B and the C characters. I mean, like yes. Twenty Four is a show that gets lauded, you know, appropriately for its ability to like build tension for an action show that had constant commercials. <laughs> um, yeah. That was that's difficult to do, but it, it also had like pretty meaningful character development for like all of its characters up and down the, the spectrum. Like I can tell you personal feelings about multiple presidents in that show. Absolutely, um, absolutely, um, and that is a. I think it's an overlooked part of what made that show work within that structure that it was that it was operating in. Yeah, and I think it's a real challenge that this show has of making it's like we we find out oh he's planning to kill the president. All, all right, and then by the end of the episode, the the thing is <laughs> and been... do it like the Russians do. Like, what are <laughs> you? Do it, what? <laughs> but do it like the we're going to dress like them. We're going to talk like them. <laughs> um, although graphics not going to change his appearance, that that might have helped a little bit. But and also, if any uh, of their soldiers die, they turn into green goblins. <laughs> not to, not to like, to be, be, but you know what I mean. Like literally, if to any quote, to one quote, of graphics soldiers <laughs> dies, all of a sudden there's a green alien on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. I feel like to that quote, would raise some questions about this event and the chaos that it might create. You know, to quote uh, Kendall Roy, it's a it's a high wire act on a straight razor. I think is what he's, <laughs> you know, like clearly the order of difficulty is very hard. But um, hey, Patrick Klepek, uh Gravik does not make plans to sow chaos and destruction because they are easy. Mm-hmm. He makes plans to sow chaos and destruction because they are hard. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. putting that out there, okay. But yeah. Not not enough buildup to to any one of these plans, you know. Like in my opinion, uh, every episode is just like, "Hey, here's a plan," and oh, it's and oh, and it's done. And we're, here's a way we're going to get Nick Fury on site of that. You know, like <laughs> yeah. that's what it is. So yeah, yeah. The way they get him there is off. It's very convenient in retrospect. Yeah, I didn't really put all you know. Not 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 that you laid out that way, Dave. Like it does seem all a little silly. Yeah. <laughs> Well, he has different. To be fair, the show does make up creative ways for him to be on site. So, like, yeah, I actually the thought first- the the way they get Fury and 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 Talos to this site. Look, throw in, the, the logic out, but like, it's fun. Like, it was a yeah, very the, enjoyable way to get them there. In the first episode, he plants a bug in Olivia <laughs> yeah. Coleman's office. 
And when she, she's so mad taking it, that was a good payoff. Like, yeah. I did enjoy her futzing with that and being mad yeah. after she discovered it was like, that was nice. In a yeah, show with nice. not a ton of like setup and payoffs, right. like, that was a that was a pretty good low stakes one. In the third episode, uh, she sends Nick Fury an email with the location of the terrorist attack. So that's how he gets to it in the, the third episode. Encrypted, I hope. You know, <laughs> end to end. And in the fourth episode, he implants a scroll with uh, tracking liquid, basically, is what happens, right, in the mm-hmm. in the fourth episode. So, you know, it, it, it's making up different ways for him to figure out a way to be on site when each of these terrorist attacks occur. I, I will say, um, I understand why people are suspicious of Nick Fury who conveniently <laughs> happens to be on site whenever like a major terrorist attack is about to unfold. So um, even though he's trying to, st- he's trying to stop it guys. He's not, he's not part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. In a conversation between newly healed Gaia and Talos, Gaia asks her father what she plans to do about Fury's failed plans to provide the scrolls with a new home. At which point Talos argues that taking down Gravik will give them leverage with the humans uh, maybe I think it might be Talos, by the way. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing this. At which point Talos argues that taking down Gravik will give them leverage with the humans to ask for favor. Amnesty. Gaia rejects Talos's naive plan for peace and walks away. Uh, I, I, I just want to say Talos's plan sucks. Like, it, what a what a dumbass! Like, what are we doing here? Like, <laughs> well, well, it's not even it's not even that the plan is bad. It's just that it's it literally. When the performance is like he extemporized the plan, right? She's like, okay, what's your plan? And he's like, okay, well, I'm going to stop a bunch of these terrorist attacks. And then when I tell the president, hey, look at all these terrorist <laughs> attacks. Owe me I a stopped, favor. <laughs> he's going to owe me one. And it's like, what are you talking about, dude? Like, I, as the viewer, am not even convinced by what you're saying. Like, so, Ben Mendelsohn how- can only do so much, Dave. Uh, he is capable <laughs> of selling. Like, I watched him, you know, hunt down, you know, a creature of the dark in, oh, it was the HBO show he was in, the King one. Uh, the uh, Oh, uh, um, yeah. Uh, the Outsider. Great the Outsider. show. Oh, amazing Love. show. Love yeah. The Outsider. And Love it, it, it really... It made me so excited for him to be in the Marvel Universe because I was like, oh, man, you're really good at this genre stuff. Like, you can just say whatever. And I'm like, uh-huh, I believe you. And he could not. I was laughing. What are you laughing at? I was like, are you watching the scene? Wife? It, it looks like, what it looks like he literally, God? like, made it up on the spot. He's like, what's your plan? And he's like, uh, okay, well. <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> oh, uh, we'll start by doing And I'm like, what? Is what is this like? And, and that it's and well, he, you know, he does that. You know, he has a much more aggressive version of that when he has the conversation with Gravik in the museum, in which they they discuss, uh, hey, like if you you can go forward with whatever plan you want, you go get so another chaos, but. Like, I'm going so to tell. Chaos. I go, go to tell, the chaos go, factory and pick up another chaos <laughs> on the way home. I don't know, there's a lot happening in that research back at the base. I don't know. There's a whole <laughs> line of chaos happening, and you know, he says like, "I will just reveal." There's a million of us here, and but granted, in that conversation, Gravik set up as the villain, even though they're trying to do like shades of like you can understand his position. He's like, "You are. You will create a genocide. They will just hunt us down and eradicate us." And then he says, Talos says, well, I mean, they'll know who the good ones are, like me. And they're like, I, again, like on paper, I can understand like having this 
like this perspective, this like naive sort of uh, like person who has assimilated that has found fury and right. believes it is possible for their people to fully assimilate um, or at least integrate like by adopting the faces of their hosts, as he keeps calling them um, and, and find a way to exist alongside them. And I keep waiting for that to get chipped away. Cause it seems like that's an ideology that the whole show is basically saying over and over that is untenable. Like it is maybe possible for you to live here, but like to, ex- to act as though it won't be with meaningful tension is naive. And you seem should have enough evidence at this point that that is not possible. And so for this character, especially where we end up with them at the end of four, like if that truly is the end of the line for this character, that's a bummer place for their arc to end. And then I guess be picked up by Gaia who in some way she has sympathies for her father, but disagrees with his intentions on how to play it out. Um, But then graphic is too far. So centrist Gaia like where where do we end up with you? I don't know. Yeah. Um I mean, I think the politics of the show are really challenging in in a bad way. I don't mean challenging like I'm challenged by mm-hmm. them. I, I think they're they're not great. <laughs> um there's a great video that I will link to in the podcast show notes uh that I also sent to you this week about how mm-hmm. um the show kind of traffics in rather anti-Semitic tropes. Specifically, the idea that um, a group of shape-shifting aliens have infiltrated the highest levels of the government and are controlling uh, world events. Um, come on, I've never that, heard that one before. That, that is a combination. <laughs> that is a combination of multiple, like uh-huh. anti-Semitic. Like that's the problem is that they combine two anti-Semitic tropes together. Yep. You know, if it was just one, it's like, oh, maybe that was <laughs> that would still be bad, but it's like. Oh, yeah. like it, maybe that was an accident or something. But it's or like demonstrate you know what you're doing with that, right? Right, like, right, exactly. Like, they're, they're like, oh, we're invoking it and we're subverting it, which is what Captain Marvel did, in my opinion. Right, it's like, Correct. hey, the shape shifting aliens. You think they're bad? They're actually the good guys. Like that was, yeah. Um, but the idea that they're mixing both of them together in this, uh, and, and the problem is that Marvel in general, and certainly Marvel TV shows rarely have a more complex ideology than uh bad guys versus good guys right like gravic is bad and evil um and ben mendelson is good and nick fury is good and maybe guys a little bit in between but she's eventually going to come to the ben mendelson yeah we know she's going to work with fury like like right. if 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 her father truly is is dead then like she is the stand-in character for uh that that role who maybe would be more uh she'd pick up a gun alongside fury a little more than uh, her, her father might. But I mean, the Marvel universe in general has uh, appropriated complexity uh, frequently thematically in order to con- <laughs> like give the appearance of yeah. a more complicated work than it is. And when it's, when it's doing that knowingly uh, it, it can be okay. But, and I think black Panther is like the rare example of a film I think it's politics at the end can get pretty complicated, but like right. it knows it knows what it's playing with yes. and it's playing with yes. it with intentionality. And then you can disagree on, you know, where it lands. Um, and that's, that's totally You, you can disagree on, you know, whether a movie called black Panther should have ended with a CIA guy uh, being a hero of the film, you know, like yeah, that and like opening like an education district, like, and like that. Like, <laughs> right, I mean, there's right. like, yeah, there's, there's a lot you can, there's a lot you can mess with, but I, the, it's but, a choice. And it's like, and it's a, it's like, I understand, I, I can see the through line from 
the argument that it's making in the politics of, of its work here that it does to feel like it's just thematic appropriation to give the appearance of complexity without fully working through the implications of that. It doesn't have an opinion on any of these things. It's more just, it's much like when people, like, and I love the winter soldier, right? But like calling that like a cold war spy thriller, like you're just appropriating like a more complex genre to explain, like just a really done, well done action film. And that's, that's fine. And I just feel like that it gets into really complicated territory when you're talking about exactly what you're talking about, Dave, where it's like, Hey, it's one thing to like, kind of like appropriate complexity of genres and like plot structure. But when you start talking like depictions of people that are like deeply coded in conspiracy theory and hate, you know, it's very easy for your show to then end up appropriated by the folks who would look at that as, and I don't, I haven't seen a lot of, you know, example of that happening. Yeah, I, I, haven't de- you, I haven't either, but I think, I think, uh, I love the concept of this cultural appropriation and complexity appropriation <laughs> or thematic appropriation. It's like we're borrowing the appearance of feeling like we're complicated, but we're not really. And that, that's the problem is like Marvel is telling relatively simple stories in a very, very complex world. Um, and it, it, uh, so far, there's little evidence that this show wants to engage with the kind of complexity that it's introducing with this idea that there's shape-shifting aliens infiltrating the highest levels of government, right? So mm-hmm. um, so that's... Uh, that, I'll just say it makes for very awkward viewing uh, because you're, you're dealing with a show that has these like very heavy tropes uh, that have been deployed in horrifying ways before, but it doesn't seem to even know that that's the case. It reminds me, you know, very different situation, but it reminds me of, um, I read an essay once about like, uh, Danny Boyle's yesterday, which is about this movie, uh, that where somebody wakes up and he's the only person that knows that the Beatles existed. So he tries to like recreate all the Beatles, songs, but, it's like if the Beatles never existed, literally the entire pop culture landscape would be different. Like the way mm-hmm. we, the music industrial industry, would be different. and it's like the movie ha- doesn't address any of those things at all. And it's like it, it it's and the way I, the essay I think it was in the New Yorker put it was like it's not even that it doesn't answer the questions. It doesn't even feel like it knows that it asked the question, <laughs> right? Like that's kind of how I feel about this show. It's like yeah. it doesn't even know, doesn't even feel like it knows that it has presented a complex and problematic situation, you know, like anyway. Um, so we'll see. Maybe it's, it's all going to land it in the end, Patrick, uh, <laughs> but I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, I don't think it's going to land that particular uh, plot line in a, in a, no, in I think not, but yeah, I think, I think we'll see where this is going, right? You put it well, guy is going to become like, uh, like she's going to be so moved by the death of her father that she's going to be, she's going to go over to Ben Mendel's side and it's going to be again, like good versus evil, you know, there's the good guys, the bad guys. Gravik is bad. He wants to kill. He wants to kill too many people to so he can have a homeland, and that's bad. You know, which again, pretty pretty re- echoes of the real world in there that uh, feel very uncomfortable to me. Without, well, and they you know. uh, one thing that's not that it goes. It's just mentioned as a throwaway, but in the scene in episode two between. Uh, uh, Fury and uh, Talos, there's mention of when Talos asks for, puts out a call for the rest of his people to come to Earth, wherever they've been hiding um, in different corners. There's also mention, that, like, there is, like, a society or, a tr- like, some people have stayed 
in some other place. I, I'm forgetting exactly how it's described, but like there is people scattered and hidden. And then some people have like stopped in one tribe or like one area. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just kind of goes unremarked on. And I'm, I'm curious, especially in given that so much of this is about a home. It's like, all right, well, if there is like one place, maybe it's not a planet, but clearly some people have aligned themselves with some part of the scrolls to try and build something. I don't know, it's all, all that stuff that I feel like the show is just, just not giving us enough, just foundational information of like the basic whys of how we've arrived here that makes, I think that even that makes it hard to buy into the various uh, arguments from the various factions of just, okay, but what, like there are basic questions I think just haven't been answered about how we even arrive at this moment, even at the end of episode four, that then makes it hard for me to care too much about the arguments each of the sides are making, because I feel like they're, I feel like they're making them with information that I, as the viewer do not have. Well, speaking of not giving us enough foundational information, um, after the Talos Gaia scene, Fury heads home to confront Vara. In a tense exchange of love, disappointment, and apologies, the two fire guns at each other simultaneously, and both of them purposely miss. The two of them part ways, with Vara asking if Fury would have loved her if they'd been together in her original form. Guess we'll never know, he says. Let's pause for a moment, talk about the Vara situation. This feels like the biggest missed opportunity of the show for me because it's like Absolutely. I think these two these two actors have such great chemistry together, and it's like oh man, like what would it have been like to be married to Nick Fury for decades? Where like he's trying to save the world, he's married to a scroll. Like why why did he want to marry a scroll in the first place? And like was it just because she liked Raymond Carver poems? You know, like all, <laughs> all this stuff. And it's like there's all these like rich questions there, so that at the end when it's like, first of all, we barely even understand why Vera needs to kill Nick Fury as far as I can tell, right? Like, um, right. Rhodes as a scroll, apparently she's like working for graphic or like graphic has her under control. Rhodes is working for graphic too. Rhodes orders her to kill Nick Fury. Right. And it's like, okay, I, I, I guess I can fill in some bit of a backstory there about like why she's involved with graphic and stuff. Um, but like how long back did that go? You know, she's been with Nick Fury for decades now. So did she just recently? Beca- anyway, whatever. So I'm not going to put more thought into it than the show. So then mm-hmm. um, so then it's like, okay, so then she needs to decide whether or not to kill kill this person that she's been with. It honestly reminded me, I, I brought this example up a couple times uh, recently. Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. You're introduced mm-hmm. to Ray Winstone's character in the, like one of the opening scenes of the film. And literally 10 minutes later, he betrays Indiana Jones. And that betrayal has no emotional impact at all because you just you just met this guy. Like, why do you care if they? It's it, it'd be like it would be different if like you know they brought Short Round back and then Short Round betrayed it, and it's like, oh wow, they've known each other for decades, and we saw that before, you know. Like, um, but we, we just met this guy, and similarly, I feel like we just met Vara like a couple episodes ago. Uh, we've gotten sni- snapshots of her relationship with Fury, but. It left me more confused than really feel like it left me more like, what am I supposed to feel about Vera than feeling like, oh, wow, what a big moment that Vera chooses not to kill Nick Fury. What did you think, Patrick? Well, in many ways, we've just met Fury, right? Like it's called Secret Invasion, but yeah. it is it is really a Nick Fury show. Like Nick Fury has been just a chessboard piece like mm-hmm. in yeah. the Marvel franchise, like is just been a like it's a, it's someone who gets the, the Avengers in the places they need to be to do the things that they need to do. And Samuel Jackson by pure gravitas is able to just imbue that with like a lot of weight because that's what comes with, you know, casting an actor 
uh, like Samuel L. Jackson that sort of like imparts more than what is actually written into the to the character right. and depicted on screen. And here, like, man, it's so easy to imagine. Like, and they even set up the structure with the scene in the cafe with the poem where he's coming off like the Battle of New York. Um, and, and like, there's a newspaper referencing, it. and they kind of like playfully talk about his like maybe yeah. or maybe not involvement. And it's so easy to imagine like a 40 minute episode that is just him walking in the door after being part of some world altering event. And they playfully talk about it or don't, and then just go on with their lives. And this is like his rest stop in between him constantly being involved in plots involving saving the world slash universe. And the idea that you could just do three or four of those and like have these moments with these characters where he's able to decompress, talk about all the stress of his job and give some interiority to this character and the weight that they must carry with the, the job that they, they have. And it's like, you get it all bottled up in this one moment. And then it, the, the show crumples it up in the trash and goes like, almost like it's an idea in a writer's room. And it's like, yeah. well, that was nice. Time, to, so, time to move on. What's so odd to me is the people who made the show seem to understand. Yeah. We need to know what their relationship was like. So they, they get that. We can't just have Vera betraying Nick Fury like right out the gate. Because if they did, then we, so it's like, okay, so we're going to give you some flashbacks. But it's like, all right, I appreciate that you, you understood we needed more than nothing. But I don't know that the flashbacks are quite enough. Uh, the the flashbacks and the little present day stuff we get. I don't know that that's quite enough to establish like. It's because hey, the relationship yeah. is so complex. It is not a yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. more than just it's more than just a relationship that is built on like someone assuming the identity of someone else, right? We get the reveal, of right? Which that is like a really cool idea, you know? Um, Absolutely, I loved that. Was what that is probably in a show that like, doesn't have a ton of things that you like you would sit with uh, and think about yeah. like that whole notion of why she assumed that identity, how like she assumed responsibility for like the idea of like being a daughter to parents yeah. and living yeah. that life. She, you, you find out that Vera took someone else's identity, basically mm-hmm. like somebody else who was dying. The thing that I didn't get was she's like, she made me three promises and one of them was not to hurt you, Nick Fury. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. what? Like, did, she get, why did, did she the care? dying, did the dying woman know Nick Fury? Like what was up? What's going on there? You know, anyway, maybe probably explained like who Nick Fury mm-hmm. was, but you know, I was like, why would dying woman who Nick Fury has never met care about Nick Fury? Also, <laughs> um, Nick Fury was like, ha- has said, said on the show, like, oh, I, I never was going to ask you. So he knew that it was a possibility that maybe she just took someone else's identity that wasn't dying or, you know, like, <laughs> which is its own weird thing. Anyway, go ahead, Patrick. What were you going to say? Well, it, it's just that, you know, you, ha- you have uh, that layer of like assuming the identity of another person, which obviously we yeah. only get the inklings of has clearly weighed on Vara. Like she is her true self when Fury is gone. He walks in the door. She transforms into this part. You know, what did Fury fall in love with? fall in, the lo- in love with, you know, all, all like attraction is some mixture of, you know, physical, emotional, psychological. And because of the nature of the scrolls that like untangles, like presents something like really interesting. Like, do we really think they've never talked about like the, the transformation or the, her relationship mm-hmm. with that skin in that body? Like I have to imagine that has come up and they allude to that at the end. And it's just like, that's just such rich, 
material for something that is, yes, it's like goofy shape-shifting aliens. But then, oh, right, like there's actually a, a, a needle to thread here to say something really fascinating about the human condition and how we have relationships with one another that are like beyond just physical attraction, but what right, layer does that present? And the show has has an opportunity to play to play with that and and gives it so little space. And and what are the role like what are the ways in which we shape shift for the loved ones around us and play right. a specific role for them and and w- if they really if they love that version of us do they really love us and so on? But to quote Nick Fury, <laughs> guess we'll never know. Guess we'll never know. And that oh god in so many ways it felt like I feel like a lot of the conversations we've had about these first four episodes is looking at moments and wondering, will the show recognize what it has here mm-hmm. and build a show around that? Um, yeah. Or more fully around that. Right. But we're two thirds of the way through and it seems increasingly well, it, unlikely now, right? Uh, increasingly unlikely. And, if, and, it, and it, you know, it's, it, I'd be so curious to know how much of this tension existed in the conceptualization of the right. show. Like there's too many smart ideas mm-hmm. like buried under the stuff that doesn't work. I was like, well, people like, you know, shows are complex. Like getting a show made in the Marvel machine is like, I'm sure even a more, an even bigger layer of complexity. And, and the shows do not seem to have any of the level of the sort of authorship that like is granted sometimes to like the bigger productions, like a Ryan Coogler gets on a black Panther and a James Gunn gets on a guardians where you're in the machine, but you can, you can see the authorship there. And it really feels like so much of the television show is way more, uh, Feige to like, to, to be too like, uh, right. Like uh, we have to get back to graphics next terrorist plan. Basically. Right. And it, and it, it feels like the way you like gun talks about how he writes his scripts and works within like the ass that he's getting from the greater Marvel universe is like, he finds a way to me. I, I just feels like this is way more like comic book nerd, Kevin Feige, like conceptualized on screen. And it's like, Whoa, what's missing in these television shows even as hard as it is to get that balance in the movies, like is a lot of that. What is the voice of somebody here? And I feel like you can see that voice in those conversations. And then when Fury walks out the door, the show that I wanted this show to be is also walking out, out the door as well. And maybe it can still be like a fun romp at the end. Like that's what I'm hoping for, Mm -hmm. but the more emotionally grounded, like insightful look, like I don't think that show is going to exist in episodes five and six. Hey, man, don't give up hope quite yet, because we're getting to the best sequence of the last few episodes. Fury heads to another conversation, uh, confrontation with Scroll Rhodes. Uh, I like how Caroline Sita over at uh, Episodic Medium wrote about this. She called him Scrody. <laughs> no! <laughs> Boo! We're, but calling also, him, we're, we're calling him Scrodes. We're right, calling we're him Scrodes, okay? No! It's a rule. Okay. All right. Scrodes. Don't break every time I say it. Fury heads to another confrontation with Scrodes under the guise of making (laughs) peace. In reality, Fury slips him a drink with a tracking device, which leads them to the planned attack on the president's convoy. Gravik unveils his new Groot-infused super scroll powers, but the assassination fails and the president is rescued. In a bloody fight, Talos is severely injured and then eventually shot point blank by Gravik. Fury leaves the scene with the president, presuming Talos is now dead. So that brings us to the end of the episode. Gotta say, I, I, I think in general, the show actually looks pretty good. Um, yeah, it does. I think like the, the cinematography, uh, I think Eben Bolter is one of the cinematographers, uh, a 
Filmcast listener, if I'm not mistaken, did some of the uh, cinematography. Also worked on The Last of Us. Very talented guy. I think a lot of the show looks great. Um, I think um, the attack on the president's convoy, yes, it's like a little bit silly because, you know, uh, in real life, I don't know that it would be, quote unquote, this easy to attack the president's convoy. (laughs) They generally like clear the airspace order. But, you know, scrolls have people everywhere. So whatever. Sure. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, I, I think the president would have much more backup and all that stuff. Like if you've ever been in a city where the president visits. It's like a generally a larger convoy than the one you see here. Right? <laughs> it grinds your city to a halt. Yeah, it. yeah. Uh, which I I understand why they needed to have it like in the middle of nowhere because that makes it more plausible. <laughs> sure. uh, but I thought overall they did a pretty good job. Like the action is like pretty good. It's again, it's a little bit silly, but overall I thought this is like the strongest action scene we've had in the show so far. How did it work for you, Patrick Klepek? Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. I the uh, kind of the it, less showy but more set PC moment is. Obviously, Talos trying to break through the bullet po- bulletproof glass while that was an, that was cool. Like the idea that he's like physically yes. transforming, and people are like they might kill him because they think he's a bad guy. That was like a nice tense it moment. Was, I thought it yeah, yeah it, it granted even if like broadly speaking, I was like I'm not really worried about the president. Like <laughs> the, 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 like I'm not really worried right, about grabbing right. swing after. But like again, like it's in many of these films, like you know that the heroes are going to solve the macro problem by the end, and so what makes them work or not work is like the tension in the moment. It's these micro problems along the way. It's the, and, and that one like felt tense and looked cool. Like it was the aesthetic working with the situation to produce anxiety out of the audience and like watching him attempt to muster enough energy to break through this, this powerful glass while slipping away like this, this mask was like, was really, was really great because up until this moment, the show more or less doesn't play with the notion of the power being, it's a, it's more of a light switch. It's on, it's off. We don't get a sense of, right. is this something they are active? Like, you know, you don't think about breathing. Yeah. When you yeah. think, but then when you think about breathing, it feels really weird to think about breathing. How does it, how does their power work? Is it like that where, when it's working, it just switches and it's just on and you can just you can just go about your day in this new this new form. But the moment, you know, you're injured and you have to think about it, it gets like a, you have a much more complicated relationship with, with, with what is for them like a basic bodily function right. slash feature. And seeing that manifested in, in a storytelling element and in terms of what you're looking at like, was was fantastic. Like it made me wish there were more moments like that in the show. It was very cool. I think of it like flexing a muscle, Patrick. You know, maybe, yeah, maybe it's like they're flexing a muscle at all times, um, and they've just gotten really good at it. Uh, so Gravik kills Talos at the end of the episode, and does he? <laughs> we uh? will find out. We will find out if if it actually is true. I, I think you're right. If this is the end for Talos, kind of a bummer. I, I, I guess the idea is that he died like an an idealistic. Scroll right, like he's an idealist. He's thing. dead. <laughs> yeah. The, the, sorry, did you say that makes you think he's dead? I do think he's dead. I yeah. I, I think that I, the shot gave a, a more of a sense of gravity than when Gaia went down. It would be pretty weird to have um, like the Gaia reveal and, and then have another Talos reveal. Like that just would be weird. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, at the same time, but here is the thing: I just said that, and mm-hmm. at the same time. 
we've seen four episodes of Secret Invasion, and in three out of the four episodes, Gravik ends the episode by killing a major character. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, and uh, that, so, and again, that, the chaos man—he just loves it. He just lives it. He just can't so, get enough of it. Uh, so I'm not putting it past the show to do something repetitive, is what I'm saying. Like maybe it's like, aha, Talos is actually alive. Maybe Ben Mendelsohn was like, the only co- condition under which I'll join the show is if you kill me by episode five. Um, <laughs> oh, no. See, I, he, he doesn't seem like it is, it's why I appreciated his work in The Outsider, because there are actors that I think come into worlds like this. And I think you can kind of speak to comic book movies as their own sort of genre, uh, like genre work. Um, and some of them come into it because they want to like it's good money or they want to be in films that their kids can see. But like because of the outsider, like that's why I was excited when he was in Captain Marvel, and then in this, it's like he seems like he's game for it. Like some people are yeah, just yeah, there yeah, yeah. and I'm, can't. I'm being, speak. I'm being facetious. I'm being facetious. Yeah. You're, you're, I'm, you know, I, I guess I'm sad. You want to defend Ben Mendelsohn's honor? Well, I, not I only defend, that. but also like you know, like you want to give up, may come up with it. I'm giving the, the the show an out. You want to come up with an excuse to bring Ben Mendelsohn back up. I'm not going to be complaining too hard. You can take like there's not much tension to work with to begin with. If you give me a couple more scenes with Ben Mendelsohn, I'm not going to be uh, sobbing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. So that's the episode. Uh, th- those are the two episodes, and I think like yeah, the I appreciated the action beats from episode four. Like pretty strong action scene. Nice conversation between Scrodes and Nick Fury. <laughs> you know, like there's some good stuff. Th- there's some good stuff there. But yeah, a lot of missed opportunities and a lot of th- times it feels like the show is playing with elements it, it doesn't fully comprehend or doesn't want to explore further. Patrick Lepic, any other topics or, or thoughts you want to bring up before we wrap up today? No, even some of the other ones I was thinking of bringing up, we ended up. Yeah, we ended up kind of covering it through our, our, our main conversation. Yeah, through so. our main conversation. You know, I, I mean, one that we uh, uh, that occurred to me in watching this, and I, I think you and I were messaging about it, was, uh, you know, this show, unlike, I think, a She-Hulk or a WandaVision, like, doesn't really fully embrace or understand the episodic advantage of television, of, like, ha- like episodic is a format it is not uh and we've seen a lot of this in in and i'm sure you've covered a lot of this in your work where frequently it feels like you're getting movie scripts turned into television because television is where the money is and then you feel like you're just watching a movie chopped up into parts and even um, though this- excuse me patrick did you not hear the part where i said gravic kills someone at the end of each episode <laughs> I, excuse me, David. I'm that's so, I'm that's sorry. the structure. That's the structure of the show. Every episode, <laughs> tal, uh, Gravik has a terrorist plot, and then by the end of the episode, he kills a major character. That's, <laughs> if anything, it's the most procedural out of any of the. I guess. Of the I guess you're right. And in in that regard, you are you are correct. But it just whereas like in a Wandavision, it's like okay, we're moving through time in each of the yes. episodes. Yes. And um, in She Hulk, it was a it was a comedy, and like and that was like sort of a a bit of the week that uh, that, that she right. was working through. And I, right. and I, however you feel about that show, I think it understood the format. And there's nothing about Agreed. Agreed. She-Hulk as a show that I think would have been better served by being a movie for the story it was telling. And we're here, it, it very much feels, um, if they were going to go the television route, I wish they had been more experimental as we've talked and gone the more play-like feel. Like, go more conversational. Go be a little bolder with the structural swing the TV brings you. Whereas I feel like by the end, we're going to get six episodes that, yeah, sure, it's it turns into four and a half hours of stuff to watch or whatever. But could it have been like a two hour and 15 minute movie? 
probably, um, and still accomplished much of what it's trying to do, which maybe is really just getting Fury to a, a place for the Marvels. And like, that will be a bummer use of this show if that's if it ends up just being a chess piece move, given that at some point Samuel Jackson is not like he seems game to do this as long as like Marvel will have him. So maybe we're not at risk of of losing him like we've lost some other actors because he's not doing a ton of the action. And um, he it's he finds it cool to be this character. But I don't know that we're going to get many more showcases for Samuel L. Jackson. And that's where that's that's where the bummer part comes for me as I look forward to the next two episodes. I hope we still get some moments with him because even if he's still going to be in this universe, it does feel like this is like kind of the uh, the get good, like kind of like the Black Widow movie was for uh, for Scarlett Johansson, which is like, hey, finally we're going to do a highlight piece for you. And that you know, Marvel's I don't think has shown that they're particularly great at delivering on that when they finally do get around to giving what could be showcase moments for some of the bigger actors in their universe. Mm-hmm. I think it's actually a best case scenario if this ends up impacting the Marvels in any way, because if you think about some of the other shows, uh, like uh, WandaVision, you know, I remember watching WandaVision and being like, wow, I bet this is going to be a big part of the next thing. <laughs> and literally it's dismissed with like one line in multiverse of madness. You know uh, what's his name? Dr. Strange shows up and she's like, Oh, are you here about the, uh, in- Thing, I'm uh, trying to bring my kids from an interdimensional yeah, gate, right? Clearly going to be an important part of the new movie. No. Yeah, when I when I enslave that whole group of people, is that why you're here to bother me? He's like, no, I have something much more important to talk to you about. He's like, <laughs> oh, okay, all right. Well, in that case, we don't need to talk about that anymore. Um, <laughs> so I'm worried it's going to be like Captain America or Falcon and Winter Soldier, where like literally, I, I don't like that show has no impact on the arc of Captain America. Like if you the next thing you watch, um, Anthony Mackie is, is Captain America. If that's what happened, like that's like, oh, that's what happened at the end of Endgame. Um, so I, I, well, why the, would I assume? The, why would I assume something different would have happened? You know, I know. Um, and yeah, and so. then, you know, I, I don't want to spoil too much about you know what's been shown about uh, the Marvels, but the little that has been shown in the trailer, I, I'm I'm unsure of the timeline of where this fits. I, nothing in the trailer necessarily speaks to me that it takes place after this and that would be yeah. disappointing if like <laughs> the marvels is before the out the uh in the the uh the arc of secret invasion patrick klepik's gonna say i spent six hours watching <laughs> secret invasion and talking i would have done it thing. anyway i can be clear like i am like for i nothing? am a, for nothing i'm a i'm a pig in a trough like kevin feige like watch this okay like, i'll do it <laughs> um like i i i get something out of all of these um i but i'm also honest about my relationship with them which i think is uh, you know i'm just that's me maybe self-justifying like look if I record these podcasts with Dave, then it's okay that I looked at my phone while watching Secret Invasion. That's fine. I could have watched anything else, but I watched this. Let's uh, talk about a couple of these comments in the live stream room. But before I do that, I just want to mention again, Patrick Klepik is the host of Remap Radio, the writer of Crossplay, a new substack that you can find at patrickklepik.substack.com. So be sure to check out Patrick's other work. Be sure to check out all the other stuff we're doing at Decoding TV, podcast.decodingtv.com. Uh, we're recently, we talked about the Emmys, the Emmy nominations with Miles McDuff. We're going to be talking about Justified coming back next week. That's going to be very exciting. 
uh, and many other things this summer. So be sure to subscribe and become a paid member at DecodingTV.com. Get ad-free episodes, early access to episodes, and help to support the show because I pay all the people I work with, including Patrick, and it's your contributions that keep this podcast running. Uh, DecodingTV at gmail.com, by the way, is where you can email us and let us know what you thought of our conversation and of Secret Invasion. So before we wrap up, Patrick, let's talk about a couple of these comments in the chat. Um, so, yeah, Daniel Falconer in the chat is saying the Marvels was delayed, so I think it probably takes place before Secret Invasion. Very possible, uh, Patrick. Very possible. Yeah, that does seem – that does seem – yeah, there was so much schedule moving around. Um, and whatever, like, it's fine. It just it, – it goes back to an earlier point I think I had made – in maybe the intro podcast uh, we had done talking about the show ahead of me having seen it, that I think we will, the optimistic case for the future of the MCU is that between the difficulties of figuring out what storytelling to even do post Endgame, which I think would is, is an extremely high bar to clear, um, in which if they just gone out with that, um, you couldn't have blamed them. Um, but there was money to be made, uh, and so they keep going. And that's difficult because of the kind of actors that were lost in that transition. And like, just where do you pick up the pieces? And then the you know the loss of um, you know actors like literally dying that were probably going to be key figures. And then COVID happens, um, in which the 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 schedule of all of these films has been all over the place. The optimistic yeah. case for the Marvel universe is that we are sort of like plodding along until like the ducks can get in there in a row again with like fans. Like my, my guiding light for a lot of this is fantastic Four. um, I know the X-Men are important, but yeah. Feige himself has said the most important story to him is that family, those characters. And so I would be profoundly worried and then potentially disinterested in the future of this universe. If, by the time we get to that in like a year and you know a year and change, uh, they haven't found a way to get this back on track because it's like how can you do continual storytelling if you can't tell it continually? You know, like mm, I, I think yeah. even in an order, this still wouldn't be fixed. Like if this all came out in the order it was supposed to, closer together, I'm, I don't think it solves those ba- a lot of the basic storytelling problems, but it's losing one of the main foundational pieces of all of this is that you watch this and then it helps you care about the next thing. And, and like so much of that has been lost in, yeah. in the last couple of years. I don't think we're gonna, <laughs> I'm not particularly hopeful by the way, that that's going to happen for a variety of reasons. First of all, as lucky dog podcast says on Twitch, uh, Iger said on CNBC that they would be pulling back on Marvel and star Wars. No surprise after this year in media, um, he's been saying that for a while. And also mm-hmm. there is a massive writer strike going on right now. And as of this morning, or like by the time you're listening to this, there may be an actor strike happening. Um, and so that is going to be, I think not as disruptive as COVID, but it was definitely going to be up there in terms of how it impacts the timeline for these things. But could so, the, the most, I, I feel like the 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 slot the, there is a direct correlation in the slide of storytelling between uh when like the, the the treasure box really got opened with television right in which in theory it was like oh characters that can't nest would would be punished for not being able to carry a billion dollar movie 
just mm-hmm. won't get made. Right. And that, look, if we do it on television, we can introduce them there. Right. And then we can do an Ag- Agatha, the coven of chaos on TV, but not necessarily. Right. A movie, right. And I don't think that has gone the way that I don't think that that path has worked out particularly well. I think there are exceptions. Like I think Miss Marvel is going to be a star. Like that actor is incredible. And I think she's going to be great in the Marvels, regardless of how that movie is. My guess right. is you will walk out of that film going, Holy shit. Like she's great. Um, I wonder if one of the best things that could happen to this whole universe is like, look, just make less of it. Like make mm-hmm. the ones that come out mean a lot more. Like right. for the creators themselves, make the stakes higher. This movie has to be better. It has to mean more because we only get to make X number of them. And maybe the costs, like the budgets are literally going to come down as well, forcing you to do potentially different modes of storytelling. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but again, optimistics case, like because I want this stuff to be as good as how I used to feel about in the past. I do think that is a potential path forward of like, look, maybe having unlimited resources was not the best path for this storytelling. And that actually being asked to do a handful of things, as opposed to literally everything hasn't exactly panned out all that well. I completely agree. Uh, Daniel, by the way, in the chat also says, I like how Scrodes was just casually sitting in his SUV during the attack. Gotta say, I'm a sucker for those kinds of scenes in TV shows and films where mm-hmm. like chaos is unfolding around a character and there's one character that j- just is not reacting to it. Uh, very creepy, you know? And I-, I think it was pretty well done in the show. And the, the, the scene, we didn't get to talk about it, but all like one of my favorite scenes in the whole show is when he shows up. And I think this shows like what it's like to be in a a scrawl adopting a human body. Yeah. He clearly drinks, uh, Scrooge drinks a shitload of that bourbon, not realizing that that is going to maintain on their breath. And Uh then when he, but they also clearly don't, they process alcohol differently because also the the character is not extremely intoxicated. And so when the president is like, what, what, get this man a coffee. Like what, what were you doing before this? I thought that was a neat window into, Mm the kinds of things the scrolls have to account for. Um, and also kind of an insight into like, how does the biologically, how does this function? Cause clearly adopting human form does not necessarily mean that you process alcohol in the same way. And so I, I thought that was a neat little aside about the relationship the scrolls have with their bodies. That is not something the show has spent a lot of time exploring. Fair points. Final question or final point. This And again, we're broadcasting live at youtube.com slash decoding TV. So be sure to subscribe to get future live notifications. Shareable Texas writes, my mind got tied in knots a bit thinking about whether te- uh, Talos and Gaia make sense as relatives with their accents. <laughs> and then I was like, why do scrolls have accents? How do they have accents? Well, I mean, accents are sometimes products of environment right so i could imagine yeah if you they're, are adopting they're traveling around all the world and you know, <laughs> it, 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 i have to say it's so fascinating you know i have a nephew and you have kids patrick and it's just like mm-hmm. it's fascinating to 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 kind of try to grok how accents are formed right like or forgotten formed, right yeah um like my my wife um she spent a lot of time growing up in minnesota uh and uh well she doesn't say anything like she had that accent when she was growing up there and then mm-hmm. lost it and adopted more of a generic Midwestern accent, having grown up around, spent a lot of time around Chicago. But when she has had, um, I don't know where the line is, 
I don't think it's a half a bottle of bourbon like in the in this in this show, but a certain amount to drink. She will say the word "howis," and it's not. She's not slurring. She is just what's, slipping what's how, back what's in. How is, what is that? What is it? It is just a Minnesotan way of saying like house. Um, it is oh, just a regional. Oh, okay. It is a regional accent to her that is buried beneath the surface, and that yeah. when she's had a little bit to drink, it can kind of slip up like it is just yeah. resting beneath the surface. And so, I also find the relationship with. Uh, accents to be interesting especially because they're not you know they can be permanent but they're not always permanent depending mm, on like when yeah. it intersects uh, and, and how life. how severe how significant the accent is right? right right um i remember uh there is this movie called the imposter do you ever see that movie the imposter Mm-mm. it's like one of my it's one of my favorite movies of all time the imposter is um it's a documentary about this child who vanished, right? Uh, and they, they, don't know, they don't know what happened to this kid. They, this child vanished. Then, decades later, somebody comes back and they say, I am the child. I'm the child who vanished. Um, spoiler alert, the movie's called The Imposter. <laughs> He's not the child. <laughs> uh, and he has, a, um, he has an extremely thick accent. And they talked with like linguistic specialists and they said like, there's no way that a child who grew up to the age of blah and didn't have an accent could then later develop an accent this like, like this. And uh-huh. I thought that was really interesting. Like basically it's hmm. the first few years that are critical. Uh, and it's, it's basically really hard to undo um, if once you develop one. So anyway, some musings on accents for you, shareable Texas, uh, which I think is, <laughs> it's the eve of, uh, shareable Texas's birthday. So, uh, happy birthday oh, there. Happy birthday. Uh, and then you're, if I recall seeing that correctly. All right. Um, that's it for today. We'll be back in two weeks with our conversation about, uh, secret invasion episodes five and six. Uh, we'll also be doing weekly recaps of justified in the near future. So yeah, that's what you have to look forward to here on decoding TV and much more. Patrick Klepek. Thanks for chatting today. Thanks for having me.